aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Happy Imbolc! It's the halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. We made it. To me, Imbolc is about questioning old patterns before we take new steps or make new plans. It's about examining the status quo to make sure we don't bring old, unnecessary baggage with us into the spring. So, since Imbolc falls just a couple weeks before Valentine's Day, I thought we'd take today to deconstruct some of the things we've been taught about love and sex and relationships. I think what we experience largely in this society is what's been termed colonial love. The number one thing about colonialism is that it says you have to be and to do things this one way that it has been decided is how we are and how we do things. It's racist and sexist, ableist and heteronormative. Colonial love will endanger another person for its own gain. It's possessive, jealous, enforces unbalanced rules. It's the idea of relationships as staking claim to the ownership of another person. Controlling, strict, transactional, it decides what is acceptable and what is not, who is worthy of love and who is not. Colonial love says you can't be queer, you can't be polyamorous, you can't wear that, and you can't express your needs, you can't be a slut, and you can't be a prude. But don't worry, because some statistics show that more than half of adults surveyed admitted to cheating on a partner. So you can have multiple partners, you just can't be honest about it. Under colonialism, deceit is key. Keeping up appearances is essential. Sex education is blasphemy. Capitalist and colonialist mentalities have created and normalized broken, toxic ideas about love. Colonial love breeds shame and seeks control over bodies and behaviors. Pleasure is shameful. Kink shaming, body shaming, slut shaming, shame, 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 because keeping you ashamed of being different is a great way to make sure you're always dimming your light. Keeping hidden your shiny disco ball of multiplicity and otherness. It's easier that way. Easier for them. They can just pretend you don't exist. And easier for you, too. Keep your head down. Don't rock the boat. Don't draw attention. Don't make eye contact. Don't incite violence by existing. Be desirable, but not too desirable. Be socially acceptable. Blend in. Be likable. Be lovable. But be careful. Or say fuck it and be a witch. Change the rules. Iraq war veteran, author, social worker, and multimedia artist M.B. Dalaccio wrote... Intimacy is, without a doubt in my mind, the opposite of imperialism. It is easy to dehumanize and judge someone else, but it takes so much more to love them. When we don't have to hide who we are, we recognize one another as partners in dismantling systems that keep us divided and broken. To decolonize love, we have to begin with loving ourselves enough to demand respect, dignity, and space and to have the courage to allow others to love us back. So let's decolonize love today. Our love for ourselves and our love for each other. Let's not try to buy love or control love. Let's make love free and honest and non-judgmental and without prejudice. Make love a journey, not a product. Make it malleable, not rigid. Let it exist in a multitude of ways. Which is... Let's write our own rules. We'll get into more of the writers and thinkers who use this term in the interview you're about to hear, and I'll put them all in the show notes, but when this theme of decolonizing love occurred to me for this episode, the first person I thought of was writer, erotic blueprint TM coach, and self-described baby Orisha devotee Chelsea A. Hamlet, on whose blog I'd been reading such titles as... This is how I wish my partners responded when I told them they gave me an STI. And what about your friends with herpes? Elsewhere, her essays about kink, like I had extra freaky mind-blowing sex with a BDSM dom and hit up a kink party. The fact that she's, quote, reading about the connection between pleasure, sexuality, feminism, and women of the African diaspora, along with redefining what self-pleasure means to her beyond traditional masturbation practices. 
clinched it. This is just the kind of frankness and perspective we need to decolonize love and decolonize our thinking. We started the conversation with Chelsea's thoughts on the word witch. <laughs> I recently learned that um, the African Yoruba practices, not all of the, uh, not I like to call them denominations because mm-hmm. I grew up in Christianity, so that's how I categorize it in my mind, but that's not what they're called. <laughs> I call them that. Um, but basically, in the particular um, Yoruba practices that I'm around, they don't acknowledge the witch as a good thing. Right. And so I am, I feel like I'm in between like different worlds where I'm currently reading um, Pan Grossman's book, um, Waking mm-hmm. the Witch, and I love it. It's, I, I, my, I feel like the little occult nerd in me is doing backflips every time I read it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, to acknowledge just on, on a spiritual level that, um, that's not necessarily what everybody who practices in the the faith or Orisha faith um, deems positive. It just depends on who you're talking to and depends on um, who you are. But I definitely spoke to my godmother and she was like, yeah, you know, because I'd like to consult with her. <laughs> and I was just letting her know about the podcast and everything like that. And she's a little older than me. And so she's like, what's a podcast? So we had like a really like cute conversation around it. <laughs> But yeah, she made it clear. She was like, you know, I love that people are taking back that term. But in terms of um, in terms of the practices that we are doing, that you know, you're learning from under me, the witch is not something that is being positive within that, you know, within the year of the religion all the time. Someone mentioned to me um, that I'm multi-faith, and that really kind of struck <laughs> a chord in me. I was like, yeah, I kind of am. So I acknowledge that um, there are certain parts of being I. So how can I put it? So I'm a devotee of Orishas, right? And a lot of people, when they hear Orisha, they think of Santaria, which mm-hmm. um, makes sense. But I actually am I'm studying under the Ifa faith. Yes, so which predates, it predates Santeria by quite, I mean, we don't even know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I'm noticing that, you know, and Ifa is like more of a Nigerian um, piece. So that's, it's more basically like based in Africa. So their practices are very different from Westernized culture. And I'm still literally like a baby in being a Orisha devotee. It hasn't even, it's only been, it's only been a few years. So there's so many things I still have yet to learn, but I'm also learning through books and talking to my godmother. And as of right now, I'm a sponge, so I don't really feel a way that they view the witch. They don't always necessarily view the architect as a witch as a good thing. I'm just taking it as, you know what, it's a cultural thing. Um, I'm going to acknowledge it, I'm going to respect it. And also, I love the fact that, you know, in terms of me being more westernized, in terms of me being in America, that the witch is having a resurgence and it's more positive. So I feel like it's both ends. Like, I, I understand that that's where they're coming from, but I also appreciate what the witch stands for from how I grew up because I grew up with Hocus Pocus I grew up you know (laughs) (laughs) I grew up with all these like different archetypes that I loved as like you know witches um and so it's both for me all of us are many things like it's like this colonial patriarchy that says you have to be this or that and I Mm -hmm. think we're kind of saying you can be this and that exactly and some people, some of my friends um, <laughs> really get annoyed with me because I'm very, um, I see both sides. And so mm-hmm. they're like, no, you got to pick a side. And I'm like, why do I have to pick a side? Why can't I just see both sides? Whether I agree or disagree is irrelevant to the fact that I see both sides. <laughs> I feel like when you know to pick a side, you know to pick a side. You know, it's, it's I know that in certain conversations, this is the side I will pick. <laughs> Regardless of what's being said, this is not on pit. But in general, I feel like a lot of people try to make mountains out of molehills. When it's okay to disagree, but you can also see where the where the person's coming from, and that's okay. Absolutely. Now, when it's now when it starts to get a little disrespectful, then you know you got to excuse yourself and you know go from there. Because I also learned that not many people can have a healthy conversation around it. And that brings us to what made me want to uh, get you for this episode is that. Um, certain topics are kind of your 
your bread and butter. <laughs> things, that, <laughs> things that other people don't want to talk about. So, like, what made you decide to write so candidly about sex and about um, all the things that that entails in, in the real version of life? Wow, that is a loaded question. But a yeah, question. <laughs> so but let, let me break it into the first part. What made you decide to write so candidly and honestly? The first part, the first answer that comes to mind is that I love Sex in the City, even though it's very problematic when you break down <laughs> what exactly was going on like in Sex in the City with a more conscious lens that 2020 has given us in 2019 and so forth and so on. Um, but I love Carrie Bradshaw. I love that she was so candid about her relationships. And I was like, one day I actually want to do that. Like, I want to be able to write what's going on in my love life and hopefully inspire others. Yes, she's a fictional character, but I always had that um, interest. But I was just like, you know, maybe I'll grow out of it. And then one day um, I realized, you know, I graduated from college and I realized, okay, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I really sat down. And I decided to go the entrepreneur route um, and study under different people. And every time they had me do something, it had to do with writing. No matter how much I tried to run from it, no matter how much um, I was told it was never making money, I always ran from it until I couldn't anymore. And so I said, okay, I'm doing this for other people. Now, what do I want to share as me and have it feel authentic? And sex and relationships was the main topic that I chose because I asked a few of my friends, like, what do I always talk about? Like, I'm, I'm not sure, like, where I want to go in terms of being a writer, but what do I always talk about? And many times the top three was, like, sex, spirituality slash religion, and food. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I was like, well, I don't want to really be a food writer, but I love the fact that people do it, but I was like, I don't feel like that's me. Um, and I was like, okay, I can, I can rock with the sex and the, and ironically, I, I didn't really want to talk so publicly about my spirituality. I like talking with like, you know, close friends or, you know, maybe mutual acquaintances, but I never thought I would actually be on a podcast talking about, um, my faith and my different, um, my different views on it or anything like this public. So even this is like a huge like step for me. So it's crazy how everything kind of comes full circle in terms of like you don't really know why certain things are done in the past until you really look at where you are now so i hope does that answer your question in terms of how i got there yeah and okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm super grateful that you are where you are now because we get to share this moment thank you me too um it feels it feels right it feels good it feels um it feels like a layer that i'm shedding um, because my word for 2020 is faith and well, just jumping in and having it turn out. Good choice. I, <laughs> I struggle with anxiety and I feel like faith is the opposite of anxiety. So it's something that I'm really trying mm. to, trying to get my head around to, but I think it's maybe not a head thing. I should be trying to get my heart around. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's so valid because, um, off and on I struggle with, um, anxiety and depression as well. So I feel you on that. And the fact that you said that faith is the opposite of anxiety, it that made me look at it even differently and confirm that this is the right word for me for 2020. <laughs> um, because it is. It's kind of like feeling the anxiety and, you know, acknowledging it, but just also moving past it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. So if anybody is able to afford therapy or have insurance, please, 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 please. Please see a licensed therapist to help you or a licensed counselor or something, because that is one of the things that has gotten me through um, and has allowed me to figure out my decisions <laughs> and the roots of why certain things are the way they are and how I feel the way I feel. So that's a huge um, factor in terms of me moving through anxiety. Um, and also my very close circle of friends, um, they either talk me off of a ledge <laughs> um, or they validate how I'm feeling. They're like, hey, I understand how you feel. It's valid how you feel. Now, here's where I could see how this could be an issue. <laughs> mm. and, and I feel like 
I'm grateful for that because they acknowledge, you know, where I'm coming from. They get it. But then if I'm wrong, they will tell me, sis, like, this is incorrect. Like, or, hey, you see how this could be a little problematic? And then we work through it. So therapy, good friends. And um, honestly, um, my faith. Honestly, um, before... When I was at Christianity, it was very, it, it was, it was great. Like I enjoyed my time um, as a Christian. But then when I, um, a friend of mine said, "Hey, I think you would be interested in learning about, you know, Yoruba and Ifa to be specific," and that also helped me as well. So I feel like my faith, regardless of what it was, has also helped carry me um, to continuously being better and trusting and figuring out what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to be. And how does your godmother fit into this? <laughs> she's awesome. Hey, Yelinda. Um, she's going to listen to this podcast because I'm going to send it to her and ask her to listen to it. And it's maybe one of her first podcasts that she listens to. So yay. Hi. <laughs> um, she fits into this because um, some people are solo practitioners and I really admire that because it takes some discipline. And to a degree, I feel like um, I'm a solo learner because we'll talk, but then I'll also have a book. But she has learned firsthand about, because she's a priestess in the year of the faith. So she's learned a lot of things um, that I am still trying to understand and something I still don't even know. And so my friend who told me that he thinks that I would be interested in learning more about your book introduced me to her. And ever since um, we connected, I haven't left her since. <laughs> so I literally like ask her about, you know, how she feels about certain things. I tell her what's going on in my life. And, um, you know, I literally am being mentored by her in terms of like my faith and also just learning how to trust my own um, power because we all have our own unique power in us. And how do so you that's how she lives. And how do you access your unique power? Do you do it through your worship or through your interaction with the nature, parts of nature? or That's so crazy that you mentioned nature. So it wasn't until I got more into um, Yoruba that I acknowledge nature the way I do now. Um, but to me, I'm still not as in tune as I wish I could be. Like, I feel like I could be more in tune with nature and the elements, but ever since um, this trend, this um, addition to my faith, because I still believe in God and I still acknowledge, you know, Jesus Christ. Uh, but at the same time, I love the fact that I'm also a devotee because I get to learn more about the elements around me and what they represent. So there are times like if I'm feeling stressed out or if I'm feeling um, like I need to be rejuvenated. I go outside, even if it's not sunny, even if I'm tired, I try to go outside because there's something about being in fresh air. And if the sun is up, that's a bonus. It's like it rejuvenates me and it helps me just ground and center and get back in tune with my inner power. But on a more um, pragmatic note, I feel like my power is accessed through my writing. That's a huge thing that I've noticed. And also... Practicing with my godmother, too, has also helped um, access my power as well, because I realize that there's things that are bigger than me, but also things that are helping me and entities that are helping me, energies that are helping me help myself. So I believe it's all that in one. Yeah. And everything intersecting all at once. It's kind of hard to describe these kinds of things, right? It is, because I even feel kind of crazy talking about it. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope this is making sense, because um, as I spoke to you offline about I'm still so new into the faith and understanding um, what my faith entails and also acknowledging that I also want to continue to acknowledge, you know, the faith I grew up in. So the multi-faith coupled with learning a new faith, coupled with, you know, learning about different aspects of the occult that I never got to do as a kid because I grew up in the church. I feel like it's so intertwined and so multi-layered that sometimes it's hard to explain and I just I, sometimes I'm just like I hope people understand and don't think I'm crazy <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and that also ties into like my anxiety <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think every time we do an episode of this podcast, we have that anxiety ourselves. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is going to be the one where they think we're crazy. <laughs> okay. Right. So let's go then to something that you are an expert on. Your online presence mentions that you're an erotic blueprint coach. What's mm-hmm. that? What is that? <laughs> So the erotic blueprints um, were created by um, Jaya. She is a renowned sexologist. She's amazing. Um, And she created the erotic blueprints. And there are five different erotic blueprints. So have you ever heard of the five love languages? Yes, they're like gift giving and that that kind of their five I can't remember tell tell me right right no but you got it you you get it right so basically it's the five love languages for the bedroom basically that's the best way I can describe the erotic blueprints but instead of like gift giving and words of affirmation and um acts of service and all that type of good stuff so there are five different erotic blueprints there are energetic sensual sexual kinky and shapeshifter okay so now as a witch shapeshifter really appeals to me as a term (laughs) what does that mean in terms of the erotic blueprint so shapeshifter means you can do it all basically so you are a very sophisticated erotic being so instead of just being like you know mainly energetic or mainly sexual and mainly sensual you can basically speak all of the blueprints um erotic language essentially and what does kinky mean in this context in the context of spirituality or in the context of um actually being an an erotic blueprint Wow. No, I, I was asking about the erotic blueprint, but I want to know about in the context of spirituality. <laughs> I'm not, well, I, to be honest, um, and to be honest, kinky in terms of like the erotic blueprint just means that um, you enjoy taboo. So that's kind of your kink and power dynamics. So that's really the thing. So with the kinky blueprint, you are really either a psychological kink person where you enjoy power dynamics via um, mentally. So it's not so much like, you know, you're getting flogged or you're, you know, using props. Sometimes it's literally just like, you know, someone is the dominant and the other person is submissive. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be like the traditional sensual play kinky, which is on the part two of the kinky are people who really like, um, you know, being bonded together or who like the spankings or, you know, anything that has to do with power dynamics, but they are really into like the impact play mainly. For spirituality, it's so interesting because this is not related to Jaya. When I was reading Waking the Witch um, by Pam Grossman, I believe um, the founder of Wicca, he really like was into, um, being naked and using different practices that took his like eroticism to the next level as well as his like spirituality to the next level but he used different erotic practices i wouldn't say that's kinky but i can see somebody who believes that that's taboo as that being kinky we have um energetic blueprint and the energetic blueprint, blueprint um, those who identify with that blueprint, they really love like anticipation and longing. They're really into, um, you know, savoring the moment because with the energetic, if you go too fast for the genitals or go too fast for touch or go too fast in invading their space, they kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. And then the, the romance is kind of gone. <laughs> so energetic people are very sensitive to energy. And so they love the longing and the anticipation because they, it's almost like you're entering their world and their energetic bubble, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, the next blueprint is also going to be um, sensual. So the sensual blueprint are people who are into aesthetics. They love like the candles. It has to smell good. The temperature has to be right. Like they have to have like, you know, their favorite, their favorite music playing or they're always having lip gloss with them because they need to make sure like you know their lips feel good and they feel like all everything is working together in harmony in terms of like their the aesthetics around them right so these are people who love to cuddle who love to be close 
And unfortunately, sometimes with the sensual blueprint, if something is out of place, <laughs> they also can check out and they sometimes like actually are not able to fully enjoy the experience. So sometimes those people who like to think about like what they have to do tomorrow, people who have to like, who are having sex, they may be like, oh shit, I have to make sure I pick up my kid tomorrow at this time. Like, or if something is off, like in the actual room, like for me, sometimes I have sensual, like a sensual um, blueprint shadow because I'll never forget when I was with someone <laughs> and I went inside of their room and the air conditioner was so high. It was so cold. And some people were like, great, we can cuddle. We're going to have sex. Perfect. Like, this is an opportune space. When I tell you I curled up in a bubble <laughs> under the covers, and I said, if you want some pussy today, I need you to turn this down. <laughs> and he just couldn't fathom it. He was like, but we're going to get warm. I said, no, we're not. I am going to stay here <laughs> until <laughs> you turn it down. <laughs> and that's part of the sensual shadow. So each blueprint has like um, different attributes that can contribute to, um, you know, seduction, but that can also um, be an obstacle to seduction, an obstacle to eroticism. And I think it, this really relates to a uh, theme of decolonizing love because it shows that like they're all different, but like equally valid and equally correct ways of being and doing things, right. interacting with other people. And the only thing that makes it like right or wrong is whether it works for you or not. And that's the thing. That's And that's the thing about Jaya that I really appreciate in her training, because at the end of the day, there's no right and wrong as long as there's consenting adults that agree. And notice I did not say two consenting adults. I just said <laughs> consenting adults to acknowledge the poly community, because I also believe that's also part of decolonizing love, because a lot of times we think of love as two people when it could be more than two people at a time, or it could be a polydynamic that could be different than any of us have ever anticipated. So I also like to bring that into the um, forefront as well. Yeah, that it's not yeah. just one way or any one way. I mean, right. you, we've talked about this, you know, before this interview that like I, I'm happily monogamous, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that I think that everyone has to be or should be or that that's going to work for everyone. Right. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like I'm a poly enthusiast. So <laughs> I'm not poly. I like, I'm not poly as a practice, but in terms of theory and actual, like, just loving love, I love seeing people who are happy together, regardless yeah. of what that looks like. A lot of people identify with the sexual blueprint because that's how society deems us to be. And so sexual, the sexual blueprint people, they love general touch. They're the people that they're not too big on foreplay. They'll do a few if they like you, but automatically they're kind of like, yes, let's get to it. Let's jump into it and get straight to the point. And the shadow side in terms of the sexual blueprint is that they miss the journey, you know? And so that's why sometimes when a lot of people, you know, get older, they have a type of dysfunction or, you know, they their libido doesn't become as high. Sometimes a misconception is, oh, I can't have sex or, oh, my sex is ruined. No, you just have to think of a different route to get to your pleasure than you did before. So it's more like you're relearning your body and what your body needs in order to get that pleasure that you're looking for because we all deserve pleasure. Pleasure is our birthright. And I feel like that's also part of the um, um, decolonizing love because a lot of us um, who are of the African diaspora were taught the opposite. You know? So yes. it's like and making sure we empower everyone regardless of what stage they're in, regardless of, you know, like what color they are, who they love, um, whether they're able-bodied or disabled, like everybody deserves pleasure. And sometimes I could be a little biased with women because I'm like, listen, we also deserve pleasure. So try not to internalize shame because we are born with a clitoris. The clitoris was designed for pleasure. <laughs> it is one of the like organs that is designed for like us to be stimulated. And that is how so many different women like orgasm. So yeah, like it, I feel like our genitals, I feel like pleasure and sex is a great thing, but we have to think beyond the genitals for like the satisfaction and the, the release that sometimes we're looking for, you know, like when it comes to sex. You said, try not to internalize shame. Can you speak more on that for me and for our listeners? 
Sure. So some of the women that have spoke to me, these are some friends, also some people that reached out to me um, on social media. Um, sometimes, you know, they feel shame about like, you know, their sexual experiences or that they like sex so much or that, you know, they've encountered an STD or STI. And I always like to tell people like, it's hard. And of course you're going to feel it. But in terms of internalizing, like I should not feel this way because I grew up this way or as a woman, I should not have to feel x y and z it's like the more we do our best not to internalize shame acknowledge it but not internalize it i feel like that also is going to access us to more pleasure even outside the bedroom just enjoying like life as a whole because pleasure i feel like also decolonizing love is also like acknowledging that there are other forms of like ways you can show love and that you can experience pleasure and joy if that makes sense Yes, I'm nodding furiously. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, and I do my best to, like, learn. Because even the fact that you brought up decolonizing love, I've never heard of that term until you brought it to my attention. I'm not going to lie. Um, a writer and activist, by, well, an author and an activist by the name of um, Juno Diaz actually coined the yes. term. Yes. Research. And I yes. said, oh, okay. <laughs> decolonizing love according to um, Juno Diaz, is the only kind of love that could liberate from that horrible legacy of colonial violence. Um, What that means to me is um, um, learning how to love people's character as opposed to um, the bodies they were born with, who they choose to love, and um, even me even acknowledging, like, even loving and, and... loving and getting to know them despite um maybe like their neuro capacities mm. and the reason why i say that's because there's a podcast i listen to called why won't you date me by nicole buyer mm-hmm. <laughs> i actually really enjoy her podcast and when the topic of decolonizing love actually came about um i automatically thought about her podcast I said, wow, this is what she's doing because she has so many different types of episodes. One actually has to do with neurodiversity. And I was like, wow, that's a very like beautiful way of acknowledging people who, um, you know, have disabilities, like who have like who or who are like on the spectrum. I was like, wow, like that's a great way to put it. And I didn't even know that that was like a term. Or she even talks about, you know, how she's open to love regardless of it's a woman, well, female bodied, woman bodied or trans like she's open to it. And I was like, wow, like her podcast, I don't know if she did that on purpose, but it's literally the perfect, one of the like perfect examples of like decolonizing love. Cause it's like, we're literally hearing how she's breaking down what she's learned and, you know, even bringing on people who have different viewpoints and just share her sharing her vulnerable truths um, in terms of even being, um, you know, a full figured woman and dating. Cause even decolonizing love has to do with also loving people who do not fit the stereotype of beauty being like skinny or slim so yeah i feel like it, it means like learning to tell the person's character regardless of how they were born and who they love and you wrote uh, i'm just going to read it exactly because i want to say exactly how you said it that you're reading about the connection between pleasure sexuality feminism and women of the african diaspora along with redefining what self-pleasure means to her beyond traditional masturbation practices. So what have you learned? (laughs) What have you learned about the connection between pleasure and sexuality and feminism and women of the African diaspora? That is a great question. So I feel like I'm going to have a lot of references (laughs) in this podcast episode. Good. We love references. (laughs) Because I'm such like, I try my best to continuously be a student. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the summer, I read a book called, um, Pussy Prayers by Black Girl Bliss. And literally it's called Sacred and Sensual Rituals for Wild Women of Color. Can you say the name of it again? Sure. Um, Pussy Prayers by Black Girl Bliss. Pussy Prayers. Got it. Mm-hmm. And so basically like a lot of the things that she talked about, especially in the beginning had to do with how like, Black women um, were raised and how it affects us as it affects us growing into like our femininity and growing into like who we are as women. And I felt very seen because I was like, wow, like this makes so much sense. Um, 
in terms of how can you say like for example she in the book she mentioned um in the book she mentioned not being able to fully like disclose to her doctor like if she was having sex because her mom was in the room this is when she was a minor mm-hmm. and, and this is not just you know of course these stories can transcend you know race but what i love is that i do feel like especially in the sex and pleasure industry there can sometimes be more there's less of women of color being represented now there is like i feel like there's there's more of women of color and black men and even just like people of color period actually carving a space out for themselves in this industry but largely it's been very white largely and so this book was a great great refresher because it was just like, wow, like I'm being seen, different things that I'm learning about and I've experienced she has talked about. Even finding, I think it was Ebony Magazine, um, when she was a kid, she read, she was reading about um, how she can get an orgasm. And one of the techniques was she had to sit under um, like a, what is it called? Like with, like the, the faucet in like the bathroom, mm-hmm. like in the tub. And mm-hmm. it stimulated her getting an orgasm. And I was like, wow, like I used to read urban fiction where they had different scenes. And I was like, wow, like, let me try this. But even on a grander scale, um, she spoke about basically when the slaves came over to the Americas or even like them getting the process of them getting there. A lot of especially black women, like we were raped. We were our bodies were not ours. And a lot of the times like black women had to disassociate from their bodies in order to survive. And so pleasure was not really um our birthright to begin with it was more so like we had to survive and so even when i talk to my mom sometimes i'm like mom why did you push so much on like education and career on me as opposed to learning about my body and what that means and she was like because at the end of the day you need to know how to survive and at the end of the day um education and career is going to allow you to get to a different place so I feel like in terms of me being a black woman, I'm just speaking for me as Chelsea Hamlet, as a black woman, I feel like um, learning about even just that small, like not even the small piece, but like the larger piece that a lot of the times, like our ancestors were, my ancestors were literally were not allowed to really feel pleasure in a way that we are so liberated now because it was kind of forced and taken from them. And in order for them to survive, they had to disassociate from their bodies to keep going. And so that was passed on and on and on and on for generation and generation in one way or another. So I feel like that's a big part of what I learned in terms of why didn't I believe at first that pleasure was my birthright? Why is it that I felt shame because sex was a big topic for me something I love to go into? And I was like, wow, like it wasn't cultivated to me that this is part of like me being a woman this is part of me being human. This is part of something that we all as humans deserve. We all deserve pleasure, regardless of what we've been through and who we are. But especially like my ancestors and a lot of, you know, people who were brought to this country forcibly, a lot of that pleasure was taken away. And so I feel like now at the age of you know, pleasure politics, and we have all these type of, you know, people like Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, and Lizzo, like, where it's this whole body positivity, this whole, like, you'll, like, love your bodies and get the pleasure you deserve, I feel like it's refreshing because it's like, yes, like, I feel like we are our ancestors' wildest dream, even when it comes to, like, mental health, when it comes to um, taking back and acknowledging, like, our bodies, because I feel like due to survival, they may not have had that opportunity to do so. And the way we're doing it now. I felt like that was very long-winded, so I hope that I stay on No. <laughs> you, you just can't see me, like, sitting here and nodding and nodding. <laughs> nodding. I, I try to keep my mouth shut so that I don't mess up your uh, flow in the recording. But, yeah, no, I think that that's so important to talk about because, I mean, we, we've read, too, that um, trauma can be passed on in inside the DNA for generations and generations. So again, I mm-hmm. think it's particularly important for people who have been forced to feel unworthy mm-hmm. to battle those feelings of unworthiness as much as you can. Mm-hmm. 
And it's also about learning like where that comes from. And yeah. I feel like each person is going to give you a different story. Um, no, cause I also want to say not all black, not, I do not speak for all black people because I do not have experiences that all black people have. Like, yes, no. we have inter, you know, we have interconnections and yes, there are things that are similar, but every person of color that you talk to, regardless if they're non-binary or if they identify as like, you know, a man or woman, like we're all going to basically give you different reiterations of like, you know, our pleasure, why we view, you know, things the way we do. And that also made me think about another quote on um, decolonizing love from working it out together. The the writer's name is Gwendolyn Benaway. And she said, um, decolonial love is actively creating a space for our histories as indigenous uh, racialized survivors of of colonization to be acknowledged within our relationships. So for me, when I read that, it was just basically what you're saying now. Like what you said is, yeah, like their trauma is the, was passed down, it's passed down, you know, via DNA and also acknowledging like, yes, like this is actually something that happened and this could prevent people from feeling worthy. Because some people like to push like, well, slavery was so long ago. Why does it matter now? And it's like, that's part of colonial love where it's like, you're not acknowledging people's experiences and histories as like indigenous people or people of color because you know historically like we've been taught not to love ourselves so when i read that it really resonated with me because it's basically what you're what the conversation we're having now yeah we're not in like a romantic relationship but even in you hearing what i'm saying in terms of like what i've learned about the connections between um you know the past and to me now and even me acknowledging, like, hey, like, everybody's experience is different. Like, this is all part of, like, decolonizing um, love, interpersonal relationships, all that stuff. Because one thing I do agree with um, with the activists like um, Juno Diaz is that we also have to decolonize ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's not just about love. Like, it, it, yes, it is about love, but it's also about, like, what we the the colonization we bring to the table based off of you know how we grew up and the things that we internalized not knowing that it was colonization yeah that that's why i wanted to talk about this like not just because of Imbolc's proximity to valentine's day but because mm-hmm. this is the time of year that i think like you take a look at the status quo you take a look at how things go and you ask really hard questions about your perception of not just like yourself but how the world is and how the world works and and it's about not taking anything for granted and i think creating a space where people can talk about their histories without um, like being vulnerable but without any shame is yes. part of my action that I can do to decolonize our ideas about love. Just to open up a space to listen to somebody talk. Right. Exactly. And I, and again, like I do feel like that connects to the definition um, that Gwendolyn gave in mm-hmm. terms of creating that space for you know our histories as and she put indigenous because she's um, indigenous. But I'm going to add indigenous and people of color um, because we are survivors of colonization to acknowledge like within our relationships. Like we're survivors of like people who have historically like been, you know, brutalized, who historically have been undermined, things systematically that have been put in place to give us barriers to get to where we want to go. And just having that space to be acknowledged like, of our histories, but also what's happening now, I feel like it's also part of the decolonizing love. And and do you think that this intersects with your uh, Orisha devoteeism? And if so, how? And if not, why not? (laughs) Um, I I believe it is, because at the end of the day, um, everything is energy at the end of the day. And I feel like the energy you put out, you'll get back. And that's even, not even just me as a devotee, but just, I feel like that was just, that's just me in general. Um, but I feel like it, it intertwines with me being a devotee because I also have to acknowledge my privileges um, being um, in like a more Western culture. And even the fact that, as I said earlier, like I'm reading uh, Waking the Witch by Pam Grossman, I love that I'm reading that, but I also know that that's separate from my spiritual practice to a degree, because 
there's two different perspectives on the witch. Mm-hmm. And so I have to literally like make sure I'm creating space. Like when I talk to my EI, like, Hey, um, this, this is what I've read. And also be open to when she says yes. And <laughs> this is how it's also viewed when it comes to, um, you know, Ifa. to be honest, I'm learning to just enjoy the ride. That is my that. honest answer. Yeah. yeah. Because um, I had a conversation with my godmother and she was saying, you know, so many people want to be priestess and priest, but a devotee is okay too. Um, because the thing about being a priest or a priestess that I feel like um, is not talked about enough is that that's a responsibility because you're dealing with someone else's spiritual journey on top of yours. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to... No, scratch that. I am not ready. To do <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not. Um, and I and so that's why I'm not sure where I want to go with it because I know I'm so new that I feel like projecting a goal on something that's so... Um, that's... I feel like projecting a goal would make it more like a job or more like something to do like career wise, or it's just a little bit too matter of fact for me. Like there does need to be some flow in my life. And I feel like, you know, my faith gives me a certain flow where I don't have to have a goal in order to enjoy myself and to feel fulfilled. Yeah. And I think you've said earlier, and this is definitely how I approach things that just a forever student, just the eternal student. Right. And if you know, if if I'm supposed to be a priestess, then I hope I welcome it (laughs) and I'm able to, you know, be as great of a godmother as the one I have. Based on everything that I've ever read on the subject, if you're meant to be a priestess, they will let you know. There will be no uncertain terms about it. That's true. But also, you don't have to accept it because even before I got into it as much as I did, um, I don't know if you experienced this, but once you acknowledge that, you know, your faith was your faith, random people started kind of coming and you started having random conversations in places like Starbucks or, <laughs> or <laughs> like, you know, Panera Bread and you just talk. And there was a woman that I met and she was like, listen, like not every, some people, yes, it comes out that they're supposed to be, you know, priest priestesses, but they decline it because you're basically doing a PhD without getting a degree. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i I said oh that makes sense (laughs) yeah but definitely decolonial love and devoteeism is consensual if nothing else right oh yes 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 yes, yes, yes. because they could tell you all they could tell you all day you're not supposed to do this you know like you you may get a reading and the reading may say oh you know this is what you're supposed to do you don't have to do it because we all still have free will but also and you choosing not to do it then you also have to be like, okay, let the chips fall where they may. I would, I guess my biggest thing that I would say, um, and that I'm also actively learning is be your biggest advocate. And (laughs) that, and the reason being is because things may happen and the people that you're used to lean on may not always be there to advocate for you. And it's not that they don't love you any less. It's not that they're too busy for you. It's just that life happens and they need to advocate for themselves. So just like how you may advocate for yourself in the boardroom or in the community meeting or even at your son's or daughter's school um, or your child's school, uh, you got to make sure that you also are advocate for yourself in terms of your desires being met, your needs being met, and that your boundaries are being respected because you are your biggest advocate regardless of what happens. And pleasure is your birthright. Yes. Even <laughs> if it doesn't feel like it, it is. And I would also encourage people to look more into books um, that resonate with them um, and podcasts that resonate with them that allows them to get more connected with their pleasure and what that means to them because it's always great to figure out what you like and what you don't like sexually and even, you know, beyond sex, 
because it allows you to just be more in tune with who you are and gives a different definition and meaning to self-love. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Your perspective has been enlightening and thrilling, and I hope that we can have you back on the show again to talk about this some more. Yes, I would. So I would love that 100%. Let yeah. me know. <laughs> so if, if our listeners want to read your blog or reach out to you or maybe get some of your erotic blueprint coaching, how can they get in touch with you? So you can follow me on um, Instagram and Twitter at Chelsea A. Hamlet. Also, That's I'm Chelsea A. Hamlet. And we'll link you, but get that extra A in there, everybody. Chelsea A. Hamlet. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Because some people missed the A. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I'm currently um, not taking any um, new clients right now, but you can um, sign up on ChelseaAHamlet.com for my newsletter so that when I do start opening up um, different slots, you'll be able to be the first one to know. And you can also send me an email at ChelseaAHamlet at gmail.com. Amazing. Any parting words for our uh, for our listeners? <laughs> parting words um love yourself even when it's hard even when it's hard oh thank you so much <laughs> you're very welcome and thanks again for having me and for creating this space um for all of us uh, the space is yours now so please if you have any ideas that you need to talk about you let me know and i will get you right back on the show <laughs> We're collecting perspectives one at a time, um, and this I'm so happy to add your voice to the to the choir here. Yes, thank you. This is my fr- my second podcast I've ever done, so thank you because this is still new for me, and I'm happy that you made me comfortable and really. I feel honored that you asked me to do this. So thanks. Well, I feel honored that you said yes and that you came and just gave your time to me and to our listeners who are listening to this right now and just feeling more themselves and more worthy of love and of pleasure. And you did that for them. So thanks again. (laughs) Awesome. So this in bulk, we encourage you to think about how we can all decolonize our thinking. Whether we are the victims of colonialism or the benefactors, it is a system that requires deconstruction. As always, we start with ourselves. Decolonizing how we love ourselves and how we treat other people, we begin to understand that we are worthy of love and that pleasure is our birthright. And carry always the immortal words of Jungle Pussy. It's a full-time job fucking loving yourself. So put as much every day as you can into that job fucking loving yourself. If you love Valentine's Day, then I don't want to take that away from you. You go, Glen Coco. But bring your embalk spirit of critical awareness with you. Happy and bulk, witches. We love you. It's a full-time job fucking loving yourself. It's a full-time job fucking loving yourself. It's a full-time job fucking loving yourself. It's a full-time job. You must be a witch.